A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to our podcast, Life After The Letters. I'm Amelie. And I'm Suba. We're friends that met whilst working our first shifts as junior doctors. And we're here to talk about the stories and challenges that we face every day. Hello, everyone. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. (laughs) Oh, third extra voice. Was that a third voiceover? <laughs> it was. <laughs> so guys, thank you for coming back to listen to us today. We have a special guest who I'm so excited that she's here in the room with us today. Drum roll, drum roll please. <laughs> <laughs> it's Muna. <laughs> <laughs> so we've invited our friend Muna who we worked with last year in our first ever hospital jobs together. Yeah. We all worked together in a hospital outside of London. Really cute team, wasn't it guys? Yeah, yeah. super cute. Yes. Super cute people. Yeah. Um, and as you know, this week it's Mental Health Week. Mm-hmm. So we really wanted to discuss a topic that's so dear to the hearts of lots of doctors, not just because it affects our patients, mm-hmm. but because it affects us as well. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So why don't we just launch into it? Yeah, let's just get stuck right in. So we kind of wanted to start just by introducing Muna's background, like where she studied, what's her deal, who is Muna? Wow, spotlight on <laughs> an, me. An expose. <laughs> so me and Muna actually go way back. We were at school together, mm-hmm. um, but we hadn't seen each other in like six years. Donkey, donkey yeah, years. until we started work. But we didn't see each other all throughout medical school. It was... Yeah, and I, I remember seeing her name in, like, the email list. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when they told us, like, who was coming, like, where? And I was like, oh, my God, it's Muna. <laughs> yeah, I was totally like, forget the email. Yeah, just I... quickly search who else is coming here. Yeah. And do I know anyone? And then I was like, yeah, there's one. Yeah, yeah, so I'm the only person that did not look through the email to check. No? Okay. No. <laughs> I, I think that might be part of a bigger problem, Muna. <laughs> <laughs> can I ask a question? So, Muna, can you introduce yourself... Where you went to med school, what city you were from before, where you've come back to, and like, did you even want to do medicine before you started? Dude, great question. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really fascinated to know that actually. What were your motivations and what was your purpose for going to medical school? Okay, so I was good at chemistry, biology, you know, standard story. But I actually didn't have any kind of inclination to do medicine. It was something that my parents decided for me. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those typical African... (laughs) Ethnic, small ethnic girls, yeah, (laughs) ended up down that road. So I went through medical school, still wasn't really feeling it, but, you know, went through the full six years. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just a little bit of a commitment. (laughs) I mean, it was okay in some years. I mean, it it was okay. I did it for my parents, got the degree. But then I think the difficulties for me started after medical school. Mm. Um, but it was okay. I made friends, you know, socialised as much as I could. Imperial was, was hard. It was challenging, I will mm. say. Mm. I think the culture there was very competitive. It was People worked very hard, but they were also very secretive, which isn't something that I am. I'm very open in terms of the work that I've achieved. I'm happy to share with people. Yeah. And I felt some people weren't willing to do that with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wait, 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 rewind a bit here. So, yeah. you studied at Imperial, you grew up in... I grew up in London. Okay, you're a Londoner, born London. and bred. You born stayed and bred. in London for medical school. North London. We're all kind of North London girls. Uh, no, we're not. <laughs> Two out of three, okay. <laughs> okay, fine. Let's not beg it. Okay. Yeah, I beg it. I beg it all the time. Okay. <laughs> all right, one of us is a Hertfordshire girl, there okay? Is. There it is. Tell it how it is, Amelie. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. Okay. <laughs> 
So you went from North London. Yeah, Northwest London. To yeah. West London. <laughs> to West London, really big move there for me. Yeah. yeah. It's a different vibe out there. Yeah. I mean, I actually stayed in halls. I could have stayed at home for the first couple of years. Oh, did but you? I, yeah. Fine. And how was that? So, so, so when you first went to uni, like, how did you find it? Do you feel like you fit in? Did you find your group? Like, what was it like? I mean, I don't really know how to describe this. I'm quite a very, like, a very reserved person. So I think it did take me some time to find the people that I felt comfortable with, but mm-hmm. eventually I did find them. Mm. Um, and I kind of stuck with the same people all throughout medical school, whereas I'm sure some other people were willing to, you know, go to this group and that group mm-hmm. and really, you know, diversify. I didn't really do that. But, I mean, I did find a particular circles that I liked. So I joined ACS, for instance. Mm-hmm. I did gospel choir. Fine. So there were things that I did find enjoyable throughout my uni experience. So, so I was going to ask that, actually. So when you did find groups of people that you kind of vibed with, mm. and obviously they're going to kind of become your support network at, at uni and people that you share that experience with, was that was that in medicine or no? It sounds more like, was it maybe in cultural groups? Um, I would say the majority of my friends were medics. The only mm. couple of friends that I would say were outside of you know medicine mm. were the first two roommates that I had okay. in my first year. And I'm still really good friends with them. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. so lovely. I yeah. know. What yeah. are they doing out of interest? So one of them works for Google. She's okay. like super clever. Wow. Oh. So envious of so her. So she works for a company that... Respects her time. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. nice. <laughs> I always knew she was destined for great things, so I'm not even surprised. I'm so happy. Oh, for that's her. cool. Yeah. Yeah. And the second one, who I also love, she works with like research. She does a lot of papers. Boring, as in for academic. me, academic. Academic. But she wow. enjoys her job, yeah. which I don't. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so amazing and so um, like so valuable. Yeah. Mm. Both of them contribute in a really really good way. So yeah. Yeah. No, yes. Yeah. Women in STEM. Do they call it STEM or do they call it STEM? I think they, they call they it STEM. They definitely call it STEM. STEM. <laughs> Where, why would you do the STEM? My finger is not on the pulse. It, it isn't. It isn't ever. <laughs> I'm just glad that you didn't say how's tricks today. <laughs> <laughs> That's Suba's new greeting if you didn't hear yeah, the last Yeah, and it's not going to catch on. It's just yeah. not. That has not happened. It will never happen. I'm going to be a broken woman at the end of this A series. broken record, I think. <laughs> How's tricks, guys? How's tricks? Oh, why did you? Why did you? And can I bring it back to the topic that we were going to discuss today? Mm. So we were discussing mental health. And obviously we've asked you to come on. If you look at mental health, what does that mean to you? And do you have any words that you use to describe how you feel? So I would just say, in general, I'm very, very hard on myself. Mm. And I think somebody that is extremely hard on themselves, very, very prone to develop mm. mental health problems. Mm. Okay. Um... So I'm just going to be frank and open with you guys. So throughout my medical school kind of journey, Mm. I would say I struggled with a lot of mental health problems, but it was always in the background. Mm. And since leaving medical school and now having to work, those issues have amplified, unfortunately. Mm. And I don't think because I didn't deal with it at the time Mm -hmm. in medical school. I think it's gotten worse. But, you know, I think right now I've, I've tried to make those changes yeah. and I've tried to deal mm. with the problems because mm. I just think it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I would say that pretty much covers it. Um, can you take us through, like, your mental health journey? Mm-hmm. Because obviously it's, like you said, you know, it's not something that happens overnight. Mm. There's little moments, there's little things that over time... Yeah, emerge into the forefront of your life. Yeah. And what was that process for you? So, like I said, I would say medical school is where I felt, wow, something's not quite right. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, as medics, we are under pressure to deliver, Mm -hmm. you know, exams. I have something called performance anxiety. And you know how they'd always say, okay, examine this patient, but it wouldn't just be you and, you know, the supervisor. It would be you in front of maybe 10, 15 other students. Yeah. God, and that kind of pressure, you know, yeah. the scrutiny of oh, people yeah. feeling, people judging me. Yeah. People constantly looking at every single thing I'm doing, you know, mm. analyzing every action I take. Absolutely. That's just something that I couldn't really deal with. Yeah. Mm. You know, and now doing that in my job where, you know, it's life or death kind of thing. Yeah. It's so much worse. Mm. Um, and I think that was the struggle for me. And then I had a lot of health issues in my fifth year of university as well. And that just compounded a lot of the mm. problems as well. Mm. You know, yeah. as I said. Can I take you back to what you were saying about the performance anxiety? Mm. And you said, obviously, we have like OSCE situations. Yeah. And Did you ever have anything like that before you came to med school that actually made you think, oh, something's not quite right here for me? 
Um, just any time I would have to give a presentation in school. Yeah. You know, I would get... I know everybody gets those nerves. Everybody mm. gets mm. those jitters in their stomach. But for me, it was just... It was just... Everything was maximised, you know. I just couldn't think, oh my God, I have to give this presentation. Mm. And I would just constantly, like, ruminate over it. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it was every once in a while, I didn't really yeah, think about yeah, it. Yeah, Whereas yeah. when you go to medical school, that's something you have to do constantly, every day, you know, yeah. every day. Yeah. And I always used to think, you know, practice makes perfect. If I'm constantly being mm-hmm. put under scrutiny, I'll get over it. Yeah. But I didn't, you know, yeah, it just, yeah. it would get to the point that I still remember this so clearly. We were in a lecture theatre, right? <laughs> and, uh, they selected three volunteers to, you know, practice in front of everyone. actual volunteers or just random so people? three volunteers out of the cohort okay, so okay. i would say maybe there were a hundred of us okay right to examine yeah and i just c- did not want to do it yeah so he you know he picked one person i was like thank god two more down yeah, yeah. <laughs> the odds are getting yeah. scarier person and i was like you know what i can't take this i'm gonna go to the toilet as in for the third time that he would yeah, pick somebody yeah. so i ran off to use the toilet so I missed that entire segment, something that would have been beneficial to me yeah. for exams. Yeah. But because I was so nervous about yeah. being picked, I, I just pretended to use the toilet. And I was just, I know this sounds stupid and it doesn't seem mm-hmm. monumental, yeah. but I remember this so clearly at the mm-hmm. time. I was so, my fear paralyzed me so yeah, much yeah. Mm-hmm. that I went to use the toilet because I just didn't want to be selected. I kind of want to talk about that because... I feel like so many people, I'm pretty sure everyone that's listening to us right now, can so identify with the feeling of, like, feeling nervous to talk publicly or present. Mm. Um, I think that's almost like a human instinct. I don't Mm. know why, but everyone gets that, like you said, everyone gets that slight jitters, you know, before you go up for a presentation. And we all have maybe slight little coping mechanisms. I know that whenever we have to give presentations, like, I have my strategy where I go last when everyone's a bit bored and tired and I talk in a very sophoic voice. (laughs) Everyone falls asleep. And then I usually get good marks because no one knows what I've spoken about. That's (laughs) my tactic. Save it, trademark it. Some people always want to go first. They get it out of the way because they get so nervous. Yeah. Some people literally will do anything to, like, just dodge having to do a presentation. Also me. (laughs) I mean, it's like, oh, wow, is this me? (laughs) All of it. So many of my tactics. (laughs) Being exposed. Um, But no, but I kind of want to touch on the fact that there's a difference between that being sort of, like, a degree of normal human behaviour. Yeah. And, like you say, it getting to the point where maybe you're jeopardising opportunities. Or you're losing out on learning experiences because Mm -hmm. the fear and the possibility of something paralyzes you so much mm-hmm. and it, it's the point where it becomes irrational mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, then it becomes the... unhealthy right because mm-hmm. it's like you know i have a like a genuine phobia of bees and when i tell people oh, they're like right. oh no one likes bees people don't know the degrees to which i go to to dodge yeah. bees to yeah. the point where if someone else was around me they would be like seriously wow. dude like you are not living your full life because <laughs> of your fear of bees i'm it trying to get bee. over it <laughs> but do you know what i mean yeah. i, I, I want to touch on that it's, it's always irrelevant for it to be silly because at the end of the day like you said it's really negatively impacting your life and your the you know the progression of like your career your learning i did want to ask you something though mm-hmm. but i wanted to talk about the fact that firm like um clinical medicine is taught in a very firm based manner where you're on a placement with maybe 10 students that you probably have never met before and over the course of like that month or two months or however long your placement is you kind of get to know them you talking about medical school or yeah like, in medical okay. school in medical school and obviously every time you go for say bedside teaching or you have lecture based little teaching sessions you're always around these people and they're small group sessions it's not like a lecture where you can kind of slip into the shadows but here's the weird part i actually went to really good grammar school oh yeah so i know your school my dad tried so, to get me in your guys' school so it's something that I should have been used to. No, but can I ask you a question, yes, Mina? Yes. What are what were some of the factors that you found helpful during medical school, if any? <laughs> a long, Complete, lengthy pause. Blank. <laughs> um. So the thing with me is, when I'm comfortable with people, you know, I can then, I can do it. I can yeah. perform, you know? Okay, okay. So part of me also feels kind of bad putting the blame on Imperial because I, I truly feel like I would have had this problem regardless of yeah. which medical school I attended. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's comfort. I don't know these people. These people are judging me. And mm. these are irrational, destructive thoughts to have, obviously. Mm. I know that. And that's the, that's the troubling thing about everything. I'm so self-aware of my issues and I <laughs> still haven't probably made a change. But yeah, I, I don't think it's the, just the medical school to blame. Mm. I think identifying people who are cool who who won't judge me mm. who will support me mm. but you know sometimes i'm too proud to admit that there's a problem you mm. know mm. 
going from medical school into working life, what was it that really brought out um, your anxiety or your struggles with depression more? So in medical school, even though you're seeing patients, you're interacting with them, yeah. you still don't have responsibility, you don't have ownership you know, over mm-hmm. the decisions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because you're just a medical student. Yeah. When you're a doctor, you know, their life is in your hands, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So every decision you make, you're constantly, you know, second-guessing yourself, doubting the decision you made. Mm-hmm. Even if it's very little, you'll be like, oh, should I prescribe that medication? Mm-hmm. Who should I go to? Not knowing who to go to. And okay. all of these things kind of add up. Mm-hmm. So I think that for me was the challenging, the most challenging aspect was knowing that now patients' lives were in my hands, even though I'm so junior. Yeah. 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 And let's say, let's look at like one placement, for example. Yeah. So just pick a placement in your head for one of your, your first year jobs. Mm-hmm. From the beginning of the placement to the end of the placement, so I'm guessing that you've built up experience during that placement and you know what sort of mm-hmm. things to expect. Was there any change in how you felt about yourself or felt about the job um, that happened, positively or negatively? Um, I still remember one case where I had to help manage a patient that had an asthma attack. Mm. Okay. And I just felt, Oh, that is scary to watch, by the way. I felt like things were completely spiralling. So I saw this patient beforehand... <laughs> For you or the patient? <laughs> <laughs> you know when you laugh and you're like, hold on, you know that feeling when actually you see this patient and their lungs Who's are getting going? tighter and tighter and then your lungs are getting yeah. tighter and tighter? It's not an easy job sometimes. Mirror new ones, mate. Mirror new ones. <laughs> yes. Sorry, back to your story. Yes, the patient. Yeah, so I saw this patient. She was complaining of some shortness of breath. Mm. Um, I think I just gave her some nebulizers, maybe gave her a stat dose of um, hydrocortisone or something. Mm. Um, and she seemed to improve. So I, I went and left. Mm. And then... Literally, a medical emergency call was put out, okay. um, like 20 to 30 minutes later after I saw this patient, had no idea who the patient was, obviously, went to the ward, realised this was the same patient I had treated oh not too oh long before. Oh my gosh, yeah. My mind just went completely blank. I was Everyone's just worst nightmare, honestly. Complete worst nightmare. Yeah. And I kind of You know just, when your heart just like... My heart sinks. sinks. It sinks. 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 I've had it happen a couple of times. Yeah. And it's always that moment when you're on the ward and you're like, which bed, which bed? And then as you get closer and closer to that bed, you're like, is it? Can it yeah. be? And you see him and then it you're like... It cannot be. That was, it is. That was literally what was going on. And you literally just want to like go and hide in the cupboard. And, and you can see your career flashing <laughs> by your eyes. Yeah. yeah. All those six years of medical yeah. school that you didn't even want to take. Yeah, yeah. Just by, like, by your eyes. Sorry, Muna. No, no, no. Let's finish your story. No, no, no. Let's get so, there. So, yeah, all of the emotions you guys just described, that was exactly what I went through. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe what had happened. And I just, I think I was so detached. I don't even think I helped that much. I was just like... You can't really engage I could, Yeah, exactly. I couldn't really engage. I think they gave the patient some magnesium or something. And she, thankfully, she recovered. Um, but one of the doctors, one of my consultants, actually, he saw how distressed I looked. And he took me aside and was like, Muna... You know, asthma patients, they're so brittle. You, yeah. you did everything right the first yeah. time, you know. Sometimes they just go off just mm, like that. Yeah. And it can't be helped, you know. But these things are going to happen in your career. Career, yeah. You know, they're going to happen mm. and you, you just need to try and build some resilience. But you've done everything mm, right. Mm. He was very, very kind. Yeah, it was wonderful of your consultant to recognise in that moment that this was obviously affecting you. And to put two and two together. Yeah. yeah. And to take you aside and give you that pep talk. Yeah. I think that... Because it's situations like that that can make you go home and feel like you're the worst person ever. And actually, what are you even doing here? It's like that imposter syndrome that we always see everywhere. You just think, how the heck did I get through medical school? How the heck am I now holding this bleep and in charge of all these patients overnight? But actually, no, you're meant to be here. It's just that our job is hard. It can be very hard at times. That's all it is. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I think also F1 is a very vulnerable time, right? It's a vulnerable time. you are literally jumped off the cliff face from medical school is straight mm-hmm. into the ocean of work. Yeah. And with, it is and it is a, imagery. It's yeah. a cliff. Can I face. add some imagery to that as well? Please go on. And with like the stones around yeah. your ankles. Piranhas in the water. Like that's the GMC by the way. Uh, but yeah. evocative. <laughs> evocative right there. Um resilience. I think that's always a really interesting phrase. I feel like resilience is almost thrown around in a way that it kind of puts the onus on you as an individual. Mm. To be able to like brush off difficulties in life. Yes. And it's like, 
I'm sorry, but what? Mm-hmm. Any person in your shoes, experience, with your exact experience of life, would probably arrive at the same position that you have arrived at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think anyone really gets to turn around to you and say, like, you need to be more resilient. Yeah. We all have different degrees of, you know... We all have different personal histories. We are different people. Yeah. You know, like, newsflash. But, mm-hmm. you know, we all have different experiences of life. We can all manage and cope with different things. But... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like with resilience sometimes it is very much a thing where it kind of it puts. Yeah, because, it's like a, it, it blames you. Yeah, you know? because the only time it comes up is when actually you're crying out for help, and then someone's saying be resilient. Actually, that's not very helpful. No. We need to look at the reasons why these problems are occurring. Yeah. And I suppose that brings me to that article that we all um, read earlier today. Mm. So Caroline Elton, she's a psychologist who works with. She worked with doctors for about I think ten years. She probably yeah. worked with them for longer. So I don't know. Yeah too much about her background essentially she was asked to help doctors consultants teach their juniors in a better way and see what the educational opportunities were so instead of actually having lecture-based theatre programs where they would say this is how you be a better teacher this is how you can be a better leader and she actually went around following shadowing these consultants shadowing these juniors and what she found actually was that a lot of juniors were in the places where they were now lumbered with all the responsibility because they were the ones who were there, and there, visible on the ward, and also the person in the lowest hierarchy who can be asked to do certain things. Mm. And what I also find interesting, she's written this really great book that I haven't actually got the chance to read, but I will read it. It's on my list. Um, in her book, she talks about Black August. You know, Black Wednesday in August. Yeah. yeah. So we all know about Black Wednesday in August. Do you want to explain yeah. that, Suba? Yeah, so Black Wednesday is basically handover day. Where <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, I think that explains it all. So it's the day that all your new F1s start as F1s, like fresh out of medical school, one day a medical student, next day a doctor, mm-hmm. and your F1s move on and become F2s. Um, and it is a day. It's literally just one day you go into work, someone gives you the bleep, You've got your little stethoscope around your neck, pen in your hand, <laughs> and you're signing things, writing doctor this, doctor that, and nurses bleeping you. And you're making decisions, aren't you? Yeah. And you're resp- you have responsibility, suddenly. And what was interesting, I think it was some studies that picked this up, actually, that in the UK, the highest mortality rates um, for patients within UK hospitals actually happened in August, which is a month when the new doctors all start. Mm. Now, when we look at this, you think, okay... Who are the people employed in the hospital right at this very moment? Yes, you've got the consultants who've been there for years, the Mm. seniors who know what they're doing and know how to navigate their way around new hospitals. Mm. But the complete different and new factor is these new baby doctors starting off. And what Caroline asks us to think about is, why are we not supporting the newest, youngest, least experienced people in the hospital to ensure that mortality does not increase during this time why are we not supporting them in a way that's actually helpful to them rather than lumbering with them with words such as resilience or yeah or even burnout people use that as a term just to say oh actually i think you're just burnt out you no the system's time. pretty yeah. crap yeah. that's what it is yeah um, um and also can we talk about um on that topic the mm. whole it's a, it's a culture sometimes as well where you get lumbered like you said with a lot of tasks that maybe you can't manage, but, like, you feel like you should be. Mm. Because almost it's like, if someone's giving you five jobs to do, surely that's because you should be doing five jobs. Exactly. Yeah. So you don't you don't have a baseline yet that early on. I feel like I'm now at a place where I could... And that's still after experiences where I've taken on too much. Yeah. That I can now be like, this is my limit. Yes. Yeah, I can not- do this, but no, now I need help. Mm. And mm. I, I've learned that the hard way, by being in scenarios where I'm leaving work at... 8pm, 9pm, when I should have finished at 5. And that all comes from you trying to be a good colleague and trying to do your best. But weirdly, that whole trying to do so much and not being able to do it, you can internalise that feeling and look upon yourself in a harder fashion. Absolutely. And I think, you know how Muna was saying as well, that she notices in herself that personality trait of being hard on yourself. Mm. I feel like that's almost a shared feeling sometimes amongst colleagues where Mm. I feel like... It's like that stereotype of like overachieving, like, you know, highly emotionally functioning people that go into like careers like medicine because you're almost handpicked when you're 
14, 15 and you're doing wonderfully in school and, mm-hmm. you know, all your teachers are like, oh, you're doing well. Look at all those grades. Oh, you're you a nice do... girl. Oh, yeah. you're a nice girl. Oh, you're... Yeah, you love people, right? You want to help people. You're good at science. What mm-hmm. about medicine? And your parents are like, oh, yes, how wonderful a doctor. Isn't it? And it's also like, you know, when there was like, oh, this is the number of people who went to Oxbridge. This is the number of people who didn't went into dentistry. And this is the number of people who went into medicine. It's yeah. all in the same, like, yeah. list of, like, greatness, isn't it? Yeah, and that's also good for the schools. And that's it looks good for the, so good for the schools, and that's good for the teachers. Yeah. But actually, it might not be good for what the individual. You? Yeah, what about you? And what do you know at sixteen, mate? Exactly. You know what? I always think what about do you this. Know sixteen. You know when we get like work experience students. I mean, it's not that I ever think that if you want to do medicine that you shouldn't. Mm-hmm, not at mm-hmm. all. I just think sometimes that it's very hard to know what medicine is. Yeah. Even I think even when I was in my like at medical school, nineteen twenty. I still don't think I really understood mm, what it mm. was to be a doctor. Mm. Even now, I feel like I'm just... And that's after doing it. Like, you, start to, <laughs> you start to appreciate it. And, and it's, Eight years later. <laughs> catch me in ten years. I'll tell you what it means to be a doctor. But do you know what I mean? Uh, I, and isn't that crazy that you can only... Uh, there's beautiful things about it, don't yeah, get me wrong. Yeah. There's amazing experiences that you have. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I just think it's crazy that you're making such a huge decision about the rest of your life at such a young age. Mm-hmm. So I was going to get back to Muna's story that she's taking us through her mental health journey. So we've kind of covered school, medical school. We were kind of progressing up to F1. starting F1. Mm-hmm. I feel like we did touch on F1, didn't yeah, we? we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. We did. yeah. Um, It was things like that that definitely made me feel, like you described before, Emily, like imposter syndrome, you know, mm-hmm. feeling not good enough. Mm-hmm. And I had that feeling all throughout medical school as well. But then now in the real world... It was being actualized. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I just felt very incompetent. And I think that also just started a spiral, you know, feeling incompetent, low mood, feeling more anxious, mm. feeling that fear. And then it was just going round and round. Um, but in actual fact, when I look at my F1 experience compared to my F2, I actually think it was worse than this year compared to F1. At least in F1, I, I enjoyed the community that I had so like for yeah. instance you guys yeah um we were all very lucky to stay in the same yeah place the and same, live in the same place. area yeah so when I realized I was going to be out of London I was mm. so upset you know mm. because I wanted to be at home with my family yeah but it was it was nice you know yeah. um because I got to meet a group of people who were cool and yeah. I could talk to and I could and they would with. cook for me okay, you know <laughs> can I can I also talk about the fact that I introduced Muna to a grilled cheese this chick has never had a grilled cheese until I made her one at our house. That's so funny. And Moona's like the connoisseur. Moona is the connoisseur of like documentaries and American TV. Of American culture. You'd assume that that she's eating the most American meal ever. (laughs) I'm actually shocked at you. I'm sorry, the thing is, I don't buy cheese regularly, so like, when am I going to make myself a grilled cheese? No, but like, if you're out, actually, to be honest, you don't really get a grilled cheese out. Someone has has to make you a grilled cheese. But yes, Uber, you may be the best sandwich. And literally, I think Moona was, she was shooketh. She had, (laughs) she literally made me show her the steps, and I was like, Bread, <laughs> insert the cheese, bread, yeah. pan, you, you know what melt, it? eat. And Muna was like, my God, magic, magic. <laughs> the witchcraft is real. So I kind of didn't know if she was just tricking me to get another grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah, I didn't know. That's Muna too, isn't it? <laughs> That's funny. So in our hospital for F1, there was like that amazing community. We were all really together. We were all in the same place. And that kind of was a huge support network. Yes, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. And it sounds like, obviously, you're, I mean, I know that you're close with your family. Oh, very close. Yeah, yeah. And uh, during med school days, and even high school days, you were at home, you had that, so you'd go home and you would have that sort of support network and that comfort from, you know, that comfort Yeah, and someone's there. also making sure that you're eating, you're not going to be crazy staying up super late when you're at home. Yeah. Like, your physical needs are also being very well met, aren't they? Because yeah. people are looking after you. And people are, like people that know you very well can pick up on any slight. Yes, my mom, perfect. Exactly. Yeah. You need that person who's going to be like, "Yo, mm-hmm. what's wrong? Tell me." <laughs> exactly. So, what kind of what do you think changed then in F two? Because you sort of so, what jobs did you do firstly in F two? Oh, let's start from F one. What jobs did you do in F one and then F two? So in F one, I did respiratory medicine. Then I moved on to Jerry's, mm-hmm. and then I rounded off by uh, where was I? Psych. Yeah. 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Any favorite jobs out of those three at all? Oh, weirdly enough, it was my first one. Which one? Um, respiratory. Oh, because okay. I learned the most on that one, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I feel really like everyone loved uh, the respiratory job at yeah. the old hospital, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's true, actually. I just thought yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone that did the it seniors are brilliant as well. Yeah, the they're very good. Really they're great. very good. I really like the consultants there. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, good. That's very good. good. So, yeah, so those were the jobs for F1. And then F2, I started off with A&E, which I absolutely hated. Mm. Um, so for my first rotation, I moved out. So I was living, you know, by myself with, or not by myself, with one other woman. Mm-hmm. In was this that house. like in a flat share or was that in a, like a hospital accommodation? Or what was so it, it wasn't quite hospital accommodation. I didn't, I didn't get it, unfortunately. So I um, used that website. I can't remember what it's Spare called. Spare room. Spare room, yeah. Um, and thankfully I was able to get a place literally a week before my okay, rotation fun. started. So for the first three months I was living outside. Fine. Um, and that's naturally because you're on your A and E rotation. Where exactly, you, you have to. I had to. I had the to hours. Make... You just have to. Yeah. Um, and I was just so isolated. I felt very, very low in mood. Mm. Um, and I would say that was where I felt the most stressed out of F one and F two. I felt the most stressed on that rotation. Just the demand. I have never been in such a situation before. You know, this patient needs to be moved. What is your decision? You know, nurses, consultants, seniors, literally everybody in my ear telling me what to do. Me not feeling confident in the decisions Mm. I'm making. Do I discharge this patient home or do I need to refer them? Referring them, oh, I'm so sorry, this is a horrible referral, but I need to make this referral. Mm. You know, feeling like my my clinical judgment wasn't great. Mm. Having every decision I'm making, like I said, questioning myself. Mm. So yeah, it just wasn't the best time for me. Mm, So yeah, I would say that was probably the height of my my issues, like like the anxiety, the depression, all of that, I think, really kicked in. Okay. Yeah. And then tell us where you've got, what's been going on since then. So um, as I said, that was the height of um, my my mental health crisis. Mm. Um, And that was the point where I actually had a breakdown Mm. during my A&E rotation. Um, and I had to come clean to one of my um, my consultants who witnessed it, unfortunately. Mm, can um, you take us through that day? Um, again, the details are all nebulous. I just remember feeling... Beautiful word. Beautiful. <laughs> I just remember nebulous. feeling the acid building in my chest, you know. Mm. Um, I felt like something was sitting on my chest. I, I remember that feeling distinctly, like mm. an elephant was just pressing against my chest mm. um, and I just didn't know what to do. I felt incredibly overwhelmed by everything and I could feel the tears pricking at my eyes. Mm. And I was like, please, please just go away. This is not the time. Wait literally two more hours, Muna, and then you can cry. Mm. You know, two more hours. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't. I couldn't keep those tears at bay. And then... Um, was I, this while you were working? This was while, while I was working. Um, and I was, I started to cry and then one of the consultants saw me and I started to go to the room and I said, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And I was like hysterical saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And so she led me around to a different room and I tried so hard to keep the tears and then I just couldn't, I literally couldn't. And I cried and I, oh, and I look so ugly. (laughs) I look so ugly. Um, and I was hiding my face as well. And then she said, oh, 
Muna, is, is everything okay at home? Which I remember thinking was the most ridiculous thing. <laughs> is everything okay at home? She yeah, said. Yeah. She said that. Like, yeah. mate, the problem is here. <laughs> 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 I want to be home. Like, I want to be back home, you know? Um, so I said, no, 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 everything's fine at home. And was this, the, I mean, the consultant that you obviously had this, this breakdown with, mm. was it someone that you kind of had a, at least a bit of a relationship with? I mean, how far into your rotation was this? So this was probably maybe two months into the rotation. Oh, okay, so you kind of knew the consultants so I, yeah, a little still, bit. Yeah, yeah, I kind of knew them, but I wouldn't say like I was particularly friendly with anyone, yeah. you know. I just did my job. It's a very professional relationship. Yeah, it was very it? professional. I did my job, you know, went in, went out. I yeah. didn't even bother making friends with like even the F2s and mm. the other like junior doctors there. Mm. Um, so yeah, I just... I told her because I had to, you know, how can you yeah. have a breakdown like that and not then say mm-hmm. what's going on with you? You would look ridiculous. Yeah. So, Question, what was her advice to you in that moment? Or what did, do you remember what she said to you? Um, the only thing I remember... Did I assume she's a sh- it was a she or did he say it was a she? No, 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 I said it was a she. Oh, okay, okay. So the only thing, I'm sure she said something to me, well, other things, because in that moment you don't absorb yeah. everything. Yeah. But all I, the, the only take-home message I got from whatever she said was, oh, there's this website, you know, counselling for doctors. And she told me the name, and I can't remember the name. But, um, yeah, that was really it. Mm-hmm. And she said I needed to take time for myself. Those were the two things. Mm-hmm. Um, did she Did she probe any further as to... Because obviously she asked, sort of, you know, is there anything wrong at home? Did, she, did you correct her? Did she ask you, like, is it, is it work? Is it, is it this department? Or, I don't know. No, no, so I tried to reassure her that, like, everything was okay, because... Um, I think you mentioned a, a friend or, or whatever beforehand that had a similar kind of problem mm-hmm. and they were afraid of their supervisor, you know, including that information on their e-portfolio. So mm-hmm. that was going through my head. So, yeah. yeah. So I was like, no, everything's OK. I tried to reassure her that things were fine at home because I think she seemed to think something was definitely it wrong. It going on in your personal yeah. life. Basically. So I was trying like, no, 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 everything's fine. This is fine. This is just like, this is normal for me. You know, I tried to normalize the situation because I just didn't yeah. want her to think of me as a freak or whatever. So that, that was all I tried to do. Make, make, make it seem normal. So was that yeah. the end of that conversation with your consultant? Did she ever she did not check, that again? She did not check in again. Mm, that's interesting, um, isn't it? Which I thought was sad. but um, I, Yeah, I agree with you. So she didn't check in again. Mm. Um, all I remember was those two bits of advice, which was to, you know, the counselling for doctors thing, mm-hmm. and then just to take time for myself. Mm. Okay. And then did you continue working that day? Did you work that week? What? Yeah, I continued work as normal. So she left and I cried. I finished my cry and then, mm. um, you know, then I went to the toilet, wiped the tears and everything, tried to psych myself up and I went back to work. Mm. Did you finish work that day properly or did you see the patients you were going to see? I finished, I did everything normal. I literally took five more minutes after the conversation with the consultant and then I continued. Okay. And it sounds like you tried to normalise it for her at that point. Mm. I know that you said that you're in a place now where you've tried to confront some of the issues. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process? Yeah, so um, I think after that um, situation, my parents, my mom at the time, she wasn't living at home with us, but she could sense something was wrong. Mm. Um, she communicated that with my dad as well. Oh, and because you talk to your mum all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. So you're still living out at this point, aren't you? Yeah, I was so still living still out. Living yeah. near your hospital. Yeah, so I was living out because I couldn't drive at the time. So Fine. they wanted me to be close to the hospital, obviously, yeah. because of Amy. Um, so yeah, she could sense something was wrong. I yeah. think she has, she's like the moon whisperer. She can always tell something <laughs> is wrong. Yeah, I mean, she made you, yeah. so she knows you. Um, so... I guess it just continued. I tried to be positive, but that feeling would only last like maybe a few hours. And then Mm. I tried to do things that would make me happy. So things that would make me happy were things like, I know this is going to sound stupid, but like listening to music, Mm. um, watching a lot of, so I was watching loads of comedies. So I was watching Friends even more than normal. (laughs) I was watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine even more than normal. Yeah. Um, Just things that would make me temporarily happy, you know, even trying to read the Bible once in a while. And, you know, I've been stacking off, but I tried anything. Thing mm. to just feel happy tap into Get something into yeah. yeah um but then when I moved back home mm. my parents could then see me more often mm. and then they realized again something is not quite right and that's when they they were so scared okay they were really really worried at this point and that's when the a topic of therapy was brought up mm. um and 
Can I pause yeah. you just yes. there really quickly? Yeah. So you said that you know that your parents were concerned yeah. about you. Was there anything that you had read? Was there anything that made them even more concerned about you as a, maybe as a doctor, or was it actually just because they know you as their daughter? So, um, this is going to be a bit difficult <laughs> to say. If it's if it's something that you're not comfortable saying. No, no, I, I will say it because I'm going to, I need to try and confront you know, my feelings and what's going on with me. So we were in the supermarket, my myself and my mom, um, and I was just having one of those days, you know, feeling low and all that stuff. And I don't know if I was just attacked by a feeling of like low lowness and mm. isolation and it just got all too much. Um, and my mom was like, okay, let's go bring the trolley. And I just wasn't moving. And she came around to me and she looked at me and I looked completely dead in the eyes. Mm. And I said to her, mom, I don't want to do this anymore. And she goes, what are you talking about? I said, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. And she goes, what, what, what? And I just wasn't responding. I said, I just don't want to, I don't want to do it. Um, I just don't want to do this. I don't, wanna, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, and that was it. That frightened her. And I saw the look in her eye. Mm. And I think after that, she must have spoken to my dad, mm-hmm. you know, and that's when my dad was like, so we know this person at church. Um, I think she'd be really great for you to talk mm. to. Because my mom is a counsellor and she's mm. always tried to... Is she? Yeah, she is. Wow. And I think that's why this, this was breaking her heart. Because yeah. she she felt like, I have the tools to help you. Yeah. But you don't want to help. You don't yeah. want me. You don't want to come to me. Yeah. It's difficult because yeah. it's a relationship on so many levels there. Yeah. So that's why they then recommended this other lady. Mm-hmm. I think that's that was what I think pushed it, I would say. So yeah. that was almost like the turning point. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I would say that was the turning point for them. Wow. Was that the turning point for you? Um, not necessarily. I've had yeah. moments like that before, but yeah. I think this was in front of her, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? Yeah. So she hadn't seen that before. She'd yeah. just seen how low in mood I was. Yeah. But she hadn't seen me actually say stuff like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And just giving up. You know, like I was just so resigned to it all, resigned to my fate. And this is someone that she knows is so free spirited and so, you know, that go getter attitude. So she she couldn't reconcile these two parts, you know, of who I supposedly was. She's like, I need my daughter back. I need my daughter back, you know. And that's I think that's what pushed her to. So in a way, sort of when your parents were asking for you to get some help and Mm. you speak to someone you know, that was like a third party in a way that you could offload to or speak openly to that didn't necessarily know you. Yeah, that's what I needed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And having that, um, do you feel like when your parents offered you that avenue, it was like, yes, hallelujah, I'm ready to go? Or were you, did you have any resistance to you with doing that? Did you feel like it's you doing this for your parents? No, no. Were you ready to do that I was ready, even before they offered it. I always was thinking, do I need therapy? Yeah. Do I need it? But, you know, I'm not one of those people that actually needs it, you know, because I'd done a psych placement. So, you know, I didn't think I was anywhere near as bad as the patients that I'd been treating. So Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I don't really need it. And I just thought it was ironic as well when I was doing my psychiatry placement, me running clinics for patients that were dealing with depression and anxiety. And I'm giving advice to them, you know, in between my sessions, I would be crying, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was hilarious. I was. I remember calling my mom, going, "This is the funniest thing that's ever happened to me. Me telling a patient that's depressed, telling them what to do. <laughs> what a joke! One, one actual joke. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was funny. Lols. Yeah. Sorry. There's so many like ironic things that you've just said yeah. today. Yeah. I was like, when you said um, about watching all the comedies, when you're just feeling crap. Yeah. 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 Like, talk to the patients to be like, hey, cheer up, and you're feeling crap. <laughs> feeling yeah. crap. Yeah. yeah. Or just seeing people that have that are sick and come to you for exactly. help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're literally when, in between when, patients when in the drowning. bathroom. Yeah. When you're actually drowning. Trying to just like, take some breaths and then drink back up. Yeah. Trying to stay afloat. And then someone probably in A&E, like, coming in being like, look, doctor, look, doctor, my finger is hurting. <laughs> and you're like, wow. I'm hardly holding my life together yeah, right yeah. now. But I'm, yeah, I'm broken on the inside, but let me put a plaster on that. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, isn't yeah. it? Oh my gosh. But yeah. it's interesting, you kind of, you know, you say like, you can't, there's a side of you that's like in a dichotomy where you're like, you're, half of you is kind of laughing. Yeah. <laughs> and half of you is just kind of crying. Mm. Yeah. And you know what, it kind of, to me, I just got this weird visual of that like theatre <gasps> mask. So did I. With, um, 
what's his name? Like where's well, half laughing? Yeah, half. half yeah, oh my yeah, god, yeah, I just got so that as weird. well. I literally got a visual. Did you get a visual in your I head? got a visual as you before I'm you were saying some, that. Some spirit just touched both of us at the same time. <laughs> I know. Look around. Look around. <laughs> get your Snapchat filters going. <laughs> No, but thank you for sharing that with us, Muna, because actually I think it's so important to have honest conversation. Mm. And obviously we've been friends ever since we've started. Mm. Um, but it's even difficult to know exactly what is going on in the lives of your friends. Absolutely. I know we've touched on some of these like different scenarios mm. and some of these different topics, but actually it's when you have purposeful conversations to talk about how is your mental health doing or like how are you feeling yeah. You won't get those conversations otherwise, will you? Or you won't really be able to check in with your friends. One of the first times when I feel like I really am coming to get what's been going on with you. Yeah. Glad to share. No, yeah. so, and I think it'll be very helpful for our listeners. Absolutely. Um, like, I know we keep looking at quotes and we always look at fit facts and figures because I think they're important. Yeah. A third of doctors deal with mental health problems. And that's a really big percentage of doctors and compared you look to the, the general population exactly you look yeah. at the population it's 25 percent, and with us it's over 33 percent. yeah yet we're not dealing with it for yeah. and we're not looking at it so yeah. actually i think it needs to be a focus of our training and our educational programs mm-hmm. and i think there's multiple themes there as well yes, and yeah. i think a lot of things that moon has spoken about and again thanks moon for sharing um we're n- not only limited to people that have experienced a similar degree of, mm. of mental health issues. You know, mental health is like physical health. It's on a spectrum. Mental health to Ill, Ill health, we all experience. Yeah. Um, and even if people haven't experienced it at such an extreme, we can all totally relate to those feelings. Mm-hmm. They resonate within us. Mm-hmm. But there's themes there of the doctor as a superhero, this concept of resilience, you know, um, sort of opportunities where people see you at a low point mm-hmm. and maybe they provide you some support in that moment but not necessarily flag it up to people that kind of need to chase that up Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. follow that up for you because you're not managing to do it for yourself Mm -hmm. um and taking away the responsibility from the self Mm. and kind of encouraging a community of of vulnerability and of looking out for each other Mm. and supporting each other yeah because that's the other thing as well like in our careers we're expected to progress through the ranks Mm. at each time you progress through the ranks you're now responsible for the juniors below you yeah like even as a lowly f2 you're trying to look after the f1s F1s, yeah and actually it's important to be able to recognize these um difficulties that everyone is experiencing some to different degrees and i think we need to know how to support our peers our juniors and taking away the stigma of mental health yeah or depression or anxiety because they're very real things absolutely and they're things that can be supported and taking away the stigma of even being vulnerable Mm -hmm. i think that's the difficulty as well because you don't want to be vulnerable you don't want to express what's going on with you you think you need to be a superhero you need to be strong okay do these five jobs can i actually cope with doing five jobs you know my peers can do the five jobs so Mm -hmm. i should be able to do the five jobs you know and then if you can't then you think that there's something wrong with you then you start having those feelings of i'm i'm incompetent i Mm -hmm. can't do i'm a rubbish doctor Mm -hmm. and you start spiraling again i wanted to say sometimes it's also a reality of like you're just trying to keep up with the pack you're just trying to keep up with the pack. And mm. as long as you're functioning the same level as the pack, then you must be all right. Then you, yeah. yeah. And you've got the... The pack right. is variable. Mate, the, the pack is variable. But you have some people who are just amazing outliers. Like, you yeah. have, like we lived with one and he was just popping. He knew absolutely everything to do with medicine. Yeah. And the rest he, of us he always the, sat there like... He would get the job done yeah. so quickly. Yeah. And... And can juggle 10 million things. I can do one task at a time. But like it always made you want to be just as good as them or yeah, better. Yeah. But actually, what, what when you look at the doctors that you think are absolutely brilliant, you have no idea what other struggles that they have in their life, Preach just wi- like widely speaking. Preach. And actually, just because you see them dealing with a scenario that you know that you can have dealt with in that same way, mm. actually there are going to be loads of scenarios that you'll be able to deal with yeah. um, that they haven't been able to address yet yeah um or scenarios that actually you will become good at once you're on that placement so we all have our time don't we and we we all have different skill sets we bring we bring a different spice to the table we do we do you know (laughs) 
Exactly. <laughs> Keeping it turmeric up yeah. here. I was going to say turmeric <laughs> over there. <laughs> Jalop seasoning over here. Yeah. <laughs> Maggie cube. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that Maggie life. Did you know, speaking about Maggie, so you brown people I hear, yeah. like Maggie noodles. We love it. And whereas we like Indomie noodles. Oh, really? Yeah. Indomie is legit Asian, right? Is it? Am I wrong? It's proper like... I Are you going to co-opt? I was like, wait a second, colonizer. <laughs> no, it's like proper East Asian. Indomie. Interesting, interesting. Mm. Yeah. Even the way you say it is different. Yeah, yeah. Say it once In- more. Indomie. Wow. No, no, you just changed it. She changed it. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm talking about something completely different. No, no, I think you might be talking about the same thing. But yeah. But Maggie is like a way of life. Maggie is a life. It's a way of life. They're seasoning people. Mm. Yeah. But you know that in, in India, like, they do Maggie street food in the craziest way. They put Maggie in, like, sandwiches, endorsers, like... I've been seeing everything. Been, yeah. They, but they Maggie But everything. they put the noodles in stuff. They put noodles in everything. Do you know what? I you know when you're on YouTube sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> every day. Indian street food videos. I I found myself in the weird part of YouTube. Actually it wasn't even weird, it was dope. I found myself <laughs> on BuzzFeed India. And mate, I was watching every yeah. single episode. Yeah, those BuzzFeed videos are addictive though. And they honestly, are. like I had plans to wake up early the next morning, go to the gym before I go to work. And then it was like 2am and I'm still wide-eyed watching, watching. watching BuzzFeed India. <laughs> yeah. oh, interesting. I didn't know what we were talking about. Um, no, I kind of... Muna was saying that about vulnerability. Sorry. A yeah. culture of vulnerability. And I so agree with you. And this is like why I really want to hats off to Muna today for coming on the show and like being vulnerable because I think that is the hardest thing. And actually it's one of my life goals this year is to learn and practice practice vulnerability because mm. um, it's so hard it's so hard and like you said I mean the culture of, of medicine doesn't really allow for it because basically in my view vulnerability for a lot of people is synonymous with weakness preach and, and it's nobody and it's wants not. to be weak no right? and it's everybody not. wants to you know put on this facade of strength yeah you know but ironically I think I I really think now I mean, I feel like, you know, you kind of grow up with this concept of vulnerability is weakness, but as you become an adult, you realise that vulnerability is... Is strength. Is strength. Like, that sounds so cheesy, but it really is. <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah, because it's the hardest thing to do is to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and to be honest and open and authentic mm-hmm. and present yourself as you are and not as you, as you are, perceive. That's what it is. That's and not as you perceive yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, or you want others to perceive you as, yeah. yeah. Just as you are. Mm-mm. That's so hard. And it's difficult because we're trying to encourage each other to be vulnerable. But there's also the other part of our job, which is public facing. And when you're public facing, what you want to show to that person is that, hey, I'm a doctor that you can trust. Yes. Yeah. I'm a doctor who knows what they're doing. Yeah. I've got my stuff together. Yeah. So I am going to take you through this. Yeah this physical health journey or mental health journey that you're going through right now and I'm going to get you through it because actually you need to show those two faces but it is difficult for us to know when to switch one off and switch the other off but then I suppose that's where vulnerability comes in and actually wouldn't it be great if we could show the same face that we show at home at work as well yeah and you're so right Amelie actually because you know there's that it's such a fine balance and a fine line of you you know you know when you have to do like simulation sessions mm. and you're always like dying on Moon the inside. Moon just shuddered so much. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, flashbacks. You know, and you're dying on the inside and people are watching you on some TV screen somewhere yep. and you're dying and when you get together at the end during feedback and everyone's like, how did you feel? And you're like, I was dying. And everyone's like, but we couldn't tell. You look so calm. Yeah. And everyone does the same thing and goes mm. through the same feeling and everyone looks calm. And you're like, you know what? We are not doctors. We are actors and we are so good at what we do. Well, you can be literally like feeling like you're, li- you're honestly going to die as the patient's having an SVT. You are also simultaneously an SVT, <laughs> but you look so good. Like you got it together. And but I think you that learn only, that. I think that only comes with you realizing that no one cares about the way that you're behaving. Or the way that you look on screen? No, no, no. I don't even mean that about screen. I mean that about... That's a quality that you hone throughout medical school. Do you it's, think so? I think it's in the way that we're examined. Having to okay. go to Oscars. Having to learn to put on that face. Having to learn to... Act? Like you know what you're doing. Okay, okay. In order to present yourself in a way that someone can have faith and trust in the fact okay. that you can be a doctor. Interesting. And then you jump through those hoops and you are a doctor. Mm. And now the 
not, it's not that it's always a facade. But that's your logical brain thinking, isn't it? What do you mean? But what I mean is that actually you are able to go into a simulation mm-hmm. and have no idea what you're doing and freaking out inside, but actually mm-hmm. just like paddling through, like going grace- through the motions. Gra- yeah, gracefully like a swan, but actually you're freaking out inside. Yeah. And thus instilling, thus faith. instilling faith into your pa- in your patient. Yeah. about who you are and you're able to do that but I think what we're also talking about today is when you're not able to do that yeah and when the struggle is just showing it how, happens, yeah. showing your fear yeah. um or being paralyzed I think that's also the difficulty of yeah and um, when we're talking about mental health because yeah. if you remember in our conversation earlier when I think about the way that I've gone through medical school and luckily I've not had to deal with anything where actually my mind is telling me illogical things about myself mm. so that's just a really lucky and good space to be in. Mm. The difficulty comes when actually your illogical brain overrides, overrides what your logical brain is thinking. Yeah, I'm not sure. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Really? That makes sense. And it's interesting what you said about everybody appearing calm on screen, whereas like I felt like the nerves were coming through all the time. Like I don't mm. think I did a good job of hiding it, mm. which is why I hated simulations so much, and mm. I still hate them. But yeah, what you said about the illogical thoughts you know, overriding your logical brain is just something that I have to constantly tell myself. To dial that, try and dial yeah, that back. Yeah, but it's, it's so difficult. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's interesting. Thanks for sharing, Muna. Yeah. Can I ask, so just one last question. So you've been seeing a counsellor. Can I ask how many sessions you've had or like how many hours your sessions are, mm. what that's been like over this year and the new ways you might be thinking about how to manage that work? Yeah, so it's... In life as well. (laughs) So it's been a relatively new thing. I've probably had maybe five or six sessions with her. Mm -hmm. Um, Each session lasts 90 minutes. Um, So what she tries to get me to do is realise, again, that the thoughts that I'm having are illogical, that Mm. they're destructive, that Mm. they're not true, Mm. that they're falsehoods that I tell myself. And I need to try and unlearn that Mm. to be happy. Um, and yeah, that's the personal journey that I'm currently on is just Mm -hmm. realizing that those things are wrong. They're not who I am. Um, also there was something that my, um, GP shared with me when we were talking about mental health and, uh, which I, I really liked. So he basically said that weeds are always going to grow. Doesn't matter what you do. They're always going to be there. So for him, weeds were like, you know, the destructive thoughts, mm. low mood, all of those things, mm. anxieties. And you actively have to make a choice to get those flowers. So, you know, pruning, gardening, um, mm. washing, all of those oh, things. Oh, this is a beautiful analogy. Yeah. All of those things are going to bring about the, the flowers. So he then tried to relate that to me. So he'd say, you know, things like exercise, things like doing things that make you happy. You can't just sit stagnant and expect those flowers to come. You have to be active in getting those flowers to appear. But he said the weeds are always... That's what's going to stop the weeds from growing. Mm. But if you don't do anything, those weeds are going to grow and multiply. Mm. So he was trying to make me realise that actually activity, distraction, those kind of things which you take for granted are actually really, really important Mm. in Mm. changing your mood, changing your mindset. So I've been trying to do things like exercise now. So I recently joined a netball team. So I, I do that, I do that every week. So um, can I also say throwback when we were at school that Muna was like a tennis champion. Uh, I didn't know Muna that well, but what I did know <laughs> Muna, Muna Williams. <laughs> you don't even know. You think it's a joke. And wasn't that just a beautiful analogy by the GP? I think that all of us could learn from what he just said um, about wanting to continuously improve ourselves and learning about who we are and how we fit into the world Mm. because all our external pressures and environments will always continue to change. So actually, whether we have a mental health problem, whether we've never had to deal with any problems with our mental health or if we have trying situations that will happen to us, which is inevitable for all mm. of us, um, that we can just continuously keep looking internally, looking at ourselves and seeing what we can do to distance ourselves from... Letting the weeds... Yeah, stopping the weeds from dominating your life. Yeah. Yeah, I think that really nicely ties up this episode, a, a beautiful note to end on. And um, obviously we've spoken a lot about things today. We're going to leave some links for support services um, for anyone that wants you know to know where to get some help uh, down below. And, um, yeah, I think we've got a few more episodes coming up as well on the topic of mental health. So 
see you guys for the next episode. See you. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.